there were times where it would just be Prince and myself like dialoguing for hours, you know, day after day after day, while the whole 20 piece band just sat in silence and waited to be told what to do. I was the horn arranger. So, you know, he was working out, working out arrangements with me. And I had to, I felt like I had to match his intensity and, uh, and, uh, I thought I thought we were great together. I thought we worked really great together. Um, I just I wanted I didn't want to disappoint him in any way. Warning: This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I'm your host Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Philip Lassiter. Philip is a man of diverse influences, from gospel to jazz to some filthy funk. Philip has established himself as a talented performer, composer, arranger, and producer. His growing resume includes winning the 2000 ITG Jazz Soloist Competition, 11 Grammy Awards, and a stint as the horn section leader and arranger for the legendary Prince. And there's much more to come. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast, and uh, I'm joined for this episode by Mr. Philip Lassiter. What's well, up, man? Do you yeah. prefer going by Philip or Phil, or what is your preference? As long as you call me, it doesn't matter. All right. As long as the phone is ringing, I'm not picky or choosy about it. Hey, I hear you, man. I hear you. Absolutely. So uh, thanks for joining us. And I uh, was a little bit amazed. I, I, I thought that you were in L.A. And, and now you tell me you're in Holland. So uh, what precipitated the move out to, you know, out of the U.S.? Oh, you know, uh, just it was obvious that the uh, last summer that the pandemic wasn't going anywhere. And uh, there wasn't uh, really much happening in, in L.A. or anywhere for that matter. And it just was a, a nice change, you know, get out of the hustle and bustle of the city and get over here in the countryside and um, about an hour outside of Amsterdam. And we have family over here. So it was just a little more, a lot more rather relaxed for us. So it was the right move for sure. Hey, that's solid. And I mean, are you still are you still tapped into the L.A. scene uh, you know, just doing remote work or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be going back, you know, from time to time to play shows and do work and stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's, that's probably the one thing that the pandemic has taught us or one of, one of the many lessons that we've hopefully learned um, is that because of technology now, and just like right now, you and I are, are, are sitting here having this conversation, uh, the, the borders, the boundaries of, of time and space have been somewhat removed from us. So we're, we're able to still maintain contact and st especially with music to be able to provide um, creative and artistic expressions uh, and collaborations with people, you know, anywhere in the world and to do it at a high quality. I mean, you used to be able to do it in the old days, but uh, it manners a pain in the butt trying to transfer files and, and stuff like that stems, you know, over, over a, a DSL connection. So right. uh, you know, now, now it's definitely much better. So, uh, I mean, obviously as a player, I know that you've got to love being on stage. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, how, how have you man- managed to navigate this, uh, you know, change from the, you know, in-person sessions to, to having to do more and more work virtually? You know, I was kind of already ahead of the curve with uh, the virtual work thing because 90% of my income was already like doing virtual sessions, um, being like in the, in the gospel genre mostly and branching out a little bit more beyond that. Uh, I, uh, most of my work just came to me from all over, all over the globe. So, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, nothing really changed for me except for I just didn't have you know, uh, a social life anymore. Um, cause for me playing uh, live is really more about getting out there and meeting people and just interacting with what I love to do. You know, I miss that cause you know, um, it's, it's comfortable to work at home and it's nice. Um, and, and all that, I'm really grateful for that. Um, but, um, you know, you miss being around other people and, and the collaboration of making music in real time. So that's why, you know, I, I've always been like really into going out and, and going to jam sessions and being on the scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and taking live gigs at, from time to time, um, <clears throat> starting to do more of that over here, in fact. Um, and there's a lot of room because, you know, Holland is a, a smaller scene and there's not a whole lot of trumpet players. So, uh, and they're really happy to have me over here. So. Oh, that's nice. That's, that's completely nice. Uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, doing a little bit of research on you, I try not to do a whole lot of research because I, I don't, I want to come up with like, you know, uh, I, I want to try and make the experience, especially when it's someone that I've never met before, make that experience real of us getting to know each other, you know, yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah. I, but I still like to have just a little bit of background just to work with. But I found that, that, you know, besides being uh, trumpet players and having a uh, very fantastic haircuts, uh, you and I also have uh, something else in common that uh, we're both PKs. You know, oh, so, really? Yeah. So uh, for those right. of you who don't know, PK is a preacher's kid. So uh, yeah. we both uh, had ministers or fathers. So, Son of a preacher uh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so were, were you the good PK or the bad PK? You know, I was good until I was bad. You know? <laughs> I was good most of my life. And then, and then somewhere around 20-something, I... Uh, strayed for a little minute and uh as most of us need to they say you only possess what you experience right so uh you know um but uh i don't know i think i'd like to think i've always been good at heart but um you know yeah i was no. the, the black sheep for 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 a minute yeah yeah well I, trust me i <laughs> I'm a jazz I, musician yeah. in this band the music gets in you you know and you start getting more creative and more open-minded you want to explore the world and all of its uh yeah (laughs) yeah my 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 situation was interesting because uh you know my when i was born my dad was was a a minister uh but before i was born he was a musician so uh you know he he uh he knew what it was like you know and and he did travel the world and 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 did a lot of concert hall stuff he was a, a vocalist and um so he really, um, he won, he enjoyed the fact that I loved music. He was very critical of my music and he did not want me to be a professional musician, you know, by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was there, there was a level of a contention that went on there, but you know, uh, when it's all said and done, you know, you can look back, uh, on your life and the, and the things that made you miserable at the moment, you look back and you can kind of see where, uh, that shaped your character, you know, yeah, and, sure. and made you, made you for better or worse who you are. And I like to think for better because I always try to find the positive and stuff. Um, 
So, uh, I mean, listen to your playing, I can definitely hear the gospel roots. You know, I, I, I can, you know, uh, it, you definitely did not, uh, it was obvious that you didn't grow up listening to uh, Presbyterian hymns. Uh, right. You know, yeah, it, it's got the grit, it's got, it's got the soul, it's got the grease. Um, and, you know, with that, I mean, there's obviously the musical influence, but I think people sometimes that, that have that spiritual background, uh, there's a level of emotion that they have in their playing that is completely different than anything else. So, I mean, do, do you feel that in yourself? Yeah. That Yeah, I feel like I get a lot of my passion in my playing from my, my pops and his preaching style. He was a very passionate speaker, you know, very dynamic and uh and soulful and um you know so i think a lot of it comes from that but just this experience of like growing up in a pentecostal church and uh, <clears throat> and all of that you know and the lively music and what what we listen to and then um as i grew up you know starting to get into jazz and i grew up in um <clears throat> half so from zero to eleven i was in Mobile, Alabama. It's about two hours from New Orleans. Very influenced. They have Mardi Gras there. It's very influenced by New Orleans. And then um, we moved to Peoria, Illinois, and I wound up graduating high school in St. Louis, Missouri. And we had a great music program there at the church and then also in the school. Always say, I learned to read music at school, but I learned to play at church. Right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's something about the uh, if you have never been in you know a, a Pentecostal church, an evangelical church, yeah, yeah, like the the, the stereotypical kind of uh, perception that people have of that, um, you know, music is such a crucial part, and I mean, music is is a crucial part of I, every uh, religious service you know that I've ever experienced, even yeah. you know, non non Christian, uh, you know, like a Buddha ceremony, there the chants and things like that. That's a part of of the uh the worship but there's something we should get paid more we should get paid more for that yeah <laughs> but uh you know it's the uh it's the way that there's that freedom that's expressed in the in the music you know you, when when the the organ starts playing and the tambourine starts swinging you know you don't sit there you don't stand still it's you move and you you let the body move with the music and you know so it, it's a very uh it's a very visceral uh experience and Free, uh, freedom yeah yeah Talk absolutely about, you hear that word a lot in pentecostal church freedom yeah yeah that's that's it and you know and jazz you know that's that's you know kind of the same the same thing you know i I recently had a conversation with someone about uh the uh how jazz became kind of uh intellectual uh, and you know, uh, it, it was the hip thing to do and, you know, the, and, and hip doesn't, you know, you don't, you, when you're cool, you don't move as opposed to the roots of jazz, which are just all about that freedom. It's about that expression of that pure expression of emotion, whether it be joy or sorrow. And, um, you know, I think there, that there's something about a musician who can play something that as soon as you hear it, it's like you, you actually have to fight yourself not to move. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I was between, you know, like jazz that, you know, from the birthplace of jazz, New Orleans and, you know, jazz from like New York or, or West Coast jazz, 
you know, it's a, it's definitely like a, like a cultural thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of like, you know, the, these different places you, you've lived in your career, you've had a couple of, uh, of uh, major moves. I mean, you were in New York for a minute, you were in Nashville, you, you were in LA and, and now you're in Holland. Uh, and, you know, particularly, you know, New York, uh, Nashville and LA, if you think about the, the centers of music in the U.S., and in many ways, the world, uh, those are the places, you know, and if you, and if you want to make it, those are the places you want to be. Um, what did you notice in terms of like the difference in the vibe between those, those three cities? Oh, well, it's like, like being in three different countries. Um, you know, um, I was in Nashville first. I cut my teeth in Dallas. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta represent, um, my career began in Dallas. The musicians from the camps of like, Kirk Franklin, Erica Badu, Roy Hargrove, R.H. Factor, cats like Keith Anderson, Bobby Sparks, Bernard Wright, Robert Spudsey Wright, um, Jason Thomas, Mark Letiri, and this Narky Puppy crew. And um, and then I moved to Nashville, and um, luckily I quickly linked up with the Wooten Brothers, uh, Future Man, and I became really good friends. And then he introduced me to who would be my my housemate for the next three years, which is an incredible woodwindist that got his start with Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones and then moved to Dave Matthews Band. I'm talking about Jeff Coffin, another fellow bald man. And um, Jeff uh, was like another big brother to me, and um, it was great. I got to meet all kinds of people that would come through. You know, It was like maybe the hippest house in Nashville, okay. honestly. Like cats like Felix Pastorius would come through and all kinds of amazing musicians and people. Um, and so I was there for about three and a half years and then um, decided, you know, again, you know, going back to this thing about virtual recording, that that being my, I made that my thing. Like, you know, I just stopped. And when I say I made it my thing, I stopped doing everything else. And I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to like get enough of that work, but I, I do believe that when you, <clears throat> when you, when you set out to do something, you know, the whole universe conspires to help you achieve it. And mm -hmm. I just said, well, rain or shine, I'm just not doing any more wedding band gigs or cover band gigs. And I'm not taking any more church gigs. I'm just going to do this session thing and see how, how it works out. And as I developed that through the years, it enabled me the ability to live wherever I wanted to live and not have to depend on like a local scene um, and I, I get bored easily. So I never really stayed in a town long enough to really build up my local clientele. And by the time cats started figuring out who I was, I was out. Um, you know, so, um, but also I got to just form some really great relationships through the years in these different towns and have just life-changing experiences. You know, so I moved to New York and was there for only two years, but it felt longer than that just because of all the things that I did while I was there. Um, all the cool people that I met in sessions and I met people like Nick Marchione. And that was where I was when uh, I got the call to, to, to work with Prince. I was in New York. And then so that's how Nick wound up in the section and uh, Sylvester Onyejak um, on Barry Sachs. <clears throat> and then... Um, after a few years, um, decided L.A. was like uh, the next move. And that was more of a career thing. 
you know, obviously the weather is a, a, a nice perk yeah. as opposed to those fierce NYC winters. But um, the uh, as far as the differences go, I would say like Nashville is a is a nice place to raise a family. Um, there's a good music scene there in the sense of all the labels are represented and there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of diversity in Nashville considering the fact that it's a country town, but I would still call it a country town. Yeah. You know, some people would be not happy with me for saying that, but it's just, it's just what I've, what I experienced. And I've lived in other places to know that like, it's very different in New York and in LA and in other, other towns, you know, I'd say Miami's Latin music, you know, obviously New York is jazz. And <clears throat> there was a time when, you know, it was like a lot going on in New York, but um, it seems like things have shifted, shifted to, to LA. I'm glad I did New York because, you know, I would, I would just go to like a couple of places. I go to like smalls and fat cats and sit in and get my jazz fix. I played sometimes, sometimes I just went and hung out. And you never knew who you're going to see, who's going to walk in, and um, and then I would hang out at this uh, this R&B club called the Village uh, Underground, the Village Underground, and one the guy that helped me move to New York and sublet me my first apartment, rest in peace, Ron Grant, one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. Um, he was uh, the MC of this really awesome open mic that would happen every Sunday night. It was like a gospel. R&B open mic and all kinds of celebrities would come through there. I performed there a bunch and, and um, you know, a place like the groove and it was just a, it was just a vibe. I felt like New York grew me up a lot. I always say it'll make a man out of you, you know, cause it's, it's just not an easy place to live. And, um, and, and then LA I would say is like really number one for, for opportunity uh, and networking um, the other, now I know it kind of shifts and there, people say that like, there's time, there's been times obviously in the nineties, New York was popping, but LA was popping just as much. It seems like LA never stops popping as far as like, you know, the, the industry. Right. But, um, again, with that is that you've got to contend with all of the competition. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it, it doesn't necessarily come down to like who plays the best. A lot of it comes down to like who's been around the longest, you know. Yeah. And so you gotta like, you gotta stick it out and, and stick around for a bunch of years, um, to, to even get in the scene. Most of the time, some cats get lucky and they they jump right in. Um, <clears throat> but for most people that I've talked to and for myself, it was like a slow grind. But luckily, again, I was able to live there because. I had work coming in from other places. And then, so I just slowly built up my name in LA. I was there for five years and I wasn't planning on leaving. In fact, things were just starting to really pop off for me. I was starting to do like sessions of Capitol records and, <clears throat> and getting to do some cool, cool things. And then the pandemic hit. Um, but it, it helped the pandemic helped me to like kind of reassess, you know, my goals and my career and my life and everything. Like, what do I, do I really want to spend 10 years in LA so that I can then have a career in LA? I've already got a career, you know, I'm not getting rich, but I'm like doing what I love. I'm getting better at it and I'm getting paid, paying my bills. Yeah. 
So a lot of people would define that as success already. And then, you know, it's easy to want more. Always, everybody always says, you know, it's never enough. Um, But, you know, uh, I came to realize that, like, you know what, I I need a, a better quality of life. And I don't know that my end game is to be everybody's first call for session work and for projects. And, you know, I went there, I definitely wanted bigger, I wanted, not bigger, but I wanted more, because I've done a lot of big records, but I wanted a consistent, um, a consistent flow of big projects. I, I work on a lot of projects, but mostly small projects. And then in between there's sprinkled, you know, you get a big project, you know, mm-hmm. one or two or three a year for me. Um, <clears throat> and I wanted, I wanted to see if I could get into the scene and, 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 and work on that level all the time. And it just takes time, to, you, you know, to get in there um, because you're, you're competing with people that have been there for decades and they right. have all of the connections and they have the name. And it's just like, you know, Quincy Jones is never going to call me to do a, a horn arrangement. Like that would be a slap in the face of Jerry Haight, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to. So, um, you know, uh, that's just kind of how, how it works. And that's, that's a good thing because when I, when I develop a relationship, a lifelong relationship with my clients, they won't call the next young kid that comes out and, you know, doing something different, you know? So, you know, it's just how it works. And so um, I had a great time there and I built up my network in LA um, and I have a lot of, a lot of great relationships there and put out this, this new album and it features a lot of musicians and singers in LA up on the come up. And, um, we'll talk about more about that, but, um, I just feel like, um, it was, it was the right move for me, but LA was, was a, a little bit more difficult or a lot more difficult to connect with people like socially, I feel. And I know I'm not the first person to say that. I feel like New York was was real for me. Um, I was able to connect with people really quick. And I didn't have like a thousand friends, but the ones I had, it was like we, it didn't take me long to like get into a, a pocket, you know, with people. And and in LA, I feel like it took my lady and I like a, a while and we were still not really satisfied with our, with our, um, just like, like from a work standpoint, yeah, the people we're working with, yeah, they're great. But just to really, it's it's tough in a town like that because everybody's there is grinding and there, there's not a lot of families, you know, right. and um, it's a lot of single people and just doing their thing. And it's if it's not about that, then it's not it's not a you know, and then and then just socially, um, it was just different. Um, yeah. Honestly, Nashville was socially was great because it, people are just so. It's still the, the South, you know, so you have that Southern hospitality and um, people are just really, really sweet and genuine there. In New York, they're rough, you know, they'll tell you what, right away whether they like you or they don't like you, but you you know what you got. And when you got a friend, they'll fight for you. LA is a little bit different. I mean, I definitely met some wonderful people, don't get me wrong, but um, it, uh, it's a, like needles in a haystack, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that, that live out in LA and the one thing, common thing that I've heard from so many of them is it, it's a difference. The difference between LA and New York is that in New York, you're just, you're there. I mean, when you're in the city, you're there and you know, you're, 
you're taking the subway, you're taking you know, the bus or you know, doing things like that, and you're bumping into people all over the place. Uh, as opposed to LA, where it tends to be a little more spread out, you know, and especially people that, that have made any level of success, they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're outside of the city and you spend most of your time commuting in your car between gigs and not out on the street. So, yeah. That's, that's a big part, part of, of it. Yeah, that's a big part of it. But also, I think like, you know, I say that New York will make a man out of you. Like hardship builds character and those New York winners and that subway and that street life, it's just like no joke. So like people just, there's, there's a lot of character words in LA. It's just like, so it's just too nice. The yeah. weather's too nice and it'll just kind of make a putz out of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> did I just call right. everybody, did I just say everybody in LA is a little bit of a putz? Cause I would be in the same category, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's all good, man. Uh, no, so actually, let's uh, let's talk about that album for a hot second here. Uh, so you yeah. know, you, you've obviously you know you you worked as a sideman for for you know a number of people, you know, providing uh, services uh, like you're saying, Kirk Franklin, uh, you know, Prince, you know, all kinds of, of other people that you work with. Yeah. Um, but uh like you know doing your own project that that's a that's a different thing so uh what what led to this this newest release that you did you know i've been making my own projects for years um it's just something that i've always just had inside me it's the passion that i wanted to that i wanted to to develop my own stuff because i'm a songwriter and a producer um and um i've uh it's it's just always been a desire of mine so i've you know, rather than waiting around for somebody to to hire me for songwriting and production or whatever, I just did it myself and just put out my own records. And um, so, um, you know, this is record number five, and um, you know, I uh, I just I wanted to do something and feature all of these amazingly talented. Um, Putz is in LA. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go back there. Uh, no, I had to. I had to feature all these incredible, incredible, incredibly talented, like up and coming singers. And I, I really feel like so. Um, you know, it, it'll be really cool to look back and um, and see uh, where their careers have gone. And like, you know, it's gonna be. And, and I'll probably say like, "Wow, I have them on a record. I have them on a on one of my projects." Yeah. 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 But, you know, that that's actually a really cool kind of thought that, you know, when you identify uh, these new and unique voices, you know, everybody needs a break. Yeah. Everybody needs a a hand up, uh, an opportunity to showcase themselves. And, um, you know, when you when you do a project, it's easy to get caught up in the this project is about me sort of thing you know, as opposed to, you know, this is my music, this is my vision, but I want to, you know, I want to share the love. I want to give some people a, an opportunity to shine. So, uh, yeah, there, there's certainly something about that, you know, having that opportunity to do that, that I think that's kind of like the calling that, that I feel that we should all kind of be, you know, striving for is like, well, what can we, what can we do to help someone else in the pursuit of their dreams? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what makes this particular record so special to me and to others is just the the amount of uh, flex that's on it from personnel. I mean, and I yeah, I I, I sing a little bit, but you know, um, 
I uh, I can't touch these singers on this record. And so I and the songs are just better because they're singing them. You know, mm-hmm. I sing a little bit on the record here and there, get mine in. But, um, you know, I wanted I wanted to get the songs to have the best chance at like connecting with people as possible. I wanted to give these cats an opportunity to, to, to shine on my platform. And, um, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to work with them, you yeah. know? So, but also um, there was a lot of collaboration happening. Obviously in the musicianship is like over 50 musicians on the record. Um, but also with the songwriting, I, I, uh, I co-wrote more on this record than I've ever uh, co-written before I think um, and that that also just lifted the whole uh, level of, of the songs I believe um, you know one of my favorite songs is Baba Yaga it's um, this really interesting like neo soul hip hop jazz like future jazz large ensemble kind of thing that, that features like I wanted to do something with like vocal ensembles four singers kind of in the style of D'Angelo meets Lambert Hendricks and Ross Mm-hmm. And uh, and then of course it's got all the bells and whistles and the horns and everything, but mono neons on bass and Robert Spud Seawright on drums. But I took the the idea to Spud Robert Spud Seawright, the drummer, who's a great producer, and was like, you know, I'm not I'm not a hip hop producer. So I went to him and was like, look, I want to do something that's like kind of Jay Dilla ish, but that's not my bag. So like, let's get together and like you know think of me and if I was to make, if I was to be talented enough to make a Jay Dilla beat, what would it sound like? Yeah. And, uh, and he made uh, Baba Yaga and he made Poof. And then not just the beat, but then he, he created the bass lines and the chords and everything. And then what we did was he, he took that structure and I wrote on it and uh, laid down some scratch vocals and scratch horns and everything. And then we went into the studio and we re- replaced everything with a full band. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I, it was I, great I, to have that collaboration. Yeah, that that sounds cool because I, I that's that's the thing is that you know we can we all have all these amazing talents um and, and I'm not saying that like you know like a kind of an egotistical statement it's just like we all have amazing talents I mean, you know there everybody in the world has got something that that only they can do yeah you know? and um and most of us can do a lot of stuff and we can do it at you know at a decent level but there's yeah. stuff that, that there's somebody out there that does a lot better than us. And I think sometimes that's, that's the trick is to be able to say, you know, I can do this, but it's not going to be exactly what I, I want to do because I don't have that skill set. So I need to get somebody who, who that is in their wheelhouse and bring them into the project and let, let's collaborate because if we put our skills together, you know, your strengths are going to cancel my weaknesses and my strengths are going to cancel your weaknesses. So we're going to get a product that's just so much better than if either one of us tried to do it by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, even like in the world of, of, of uh, horn arranging and stuff like that, you know, you can, there, there are a lot of people, you know, particularly like, you know, keyboard players and things like that, you know, they, they know the theory and, and they can write the parts and they can be great parts, but that sometimes there's, there's a difference between a keyboard player doing a horn arrangement and a horn horn player doing a horn arrangement. Unless the keyboard player has taken my horn arranging course. Ah, Just a little plug. Just a plug there for that, that that orchestrating and that horn arranging course. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It it comes from the the person that, you know, can play the instrument and knows how things 
lay and everything and has a connection with that instrument in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that it can't be done, but, but there's, there's, there's distinct, dis- in, in my years, there's a distinct difference to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's not your primary, at least somebody having a, a little bit of knowledge of, of what, what the, what a horn actually sounds like, feels like yeah. and how it works, you know, in the context of a section, because, yeah. um, section playing is an art man and is is such an art and i and i think particularly you know for uh you know for those of us who spent a lot of time playing uh you know funk and soul and and you know that that kind of music there's the horns have always had um a pivotal role in that music and there's a certain sound there's a certain feel a certain uh, energy um And uh, like, so for the work that you've done, you know, uh, like we talked about the gospel a little bit, but like the pop stuff. So if we, you know, we kind of pop unintended, I guess, or unintended uh, pop over to, to the, the work you've done on some of the, uh, the popular music stuff, particularly like, you know, the, the stuff that you were doing with Prince, um, you know, that, I guess that was probably a, a very interesting uh, gig because Prince's musical sensibilities were not the standard uh, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he wasn't was, standard at all. Yeah. I mean, at all. He, he was, he was, you know, he had a lot of, he pulled from a lot of different uh, sources. So um, in your work with, with, with uh, that group um, you know, what were, what were some of the challenges that you faced uh, as a player and as a, as an arranger uh, in that, that situation? And uh, you know, like what were some of the big takeaways you got from it? Every day was a challenge. I mean, he um, he loved to push your limits and see like he would every everything he asked for seemed like it was totally out of the box. It's like what? No one's ever asked me to do that before, you know. Um, just the long days too, like his flow, like he could just go and go and go and never get tired. So keeping up with him was was a challenge, and um, he was so focused too in rehearsals. He he could just he could just focus for hours and hours and hours and he was he was really nice but he was intense um not like intense just in the sense of like you know just a really hard worker and just there were times where it would just be prince and myself like dialoguing for hours you know, day after day after day, while the whole 20 piece band just sat in silence and waited to be told what to do. I was the horn arranger. So, you know, he was working out, working out arrangements with me. And I had to, I felt like I had to match his intensity. And, uh, and uh, I thought, I thought we were great together. I thought we worked really great together. Um, I just, I wanted, I didn't want to disappoint him in any way. Yeah. you know professionally and so i never wanted to show any kind of weakness if i didn't understand what he was saying you know it's delicate you're dealing with a rock star you know you don't want to just you don't want to offend them and um i'd heard a lot of prince stories so i was not walking on eggshells but i was just trying to be like really mindful about how i communicated with him and a lot of times he would say something that i didn't really quite understand what he was getting at and um, so I would just give him a look like, 
and he would he knew like I didn't understand the name he would explain it again and I just keep giving him that look until I was like oh okay got you all right (laughs) (laughs) but I never once was like what what do you mean (laughs) you know uh you don't want to say that to your boss um I just tried to tried to match his level of of uh of intensity and like just workflow work ethic and uh in, intelligence and that was the hardest part because i'm certainly not as intel as intelligent as prince but um he was so you know quick and funny and just on it but musically i felt like we were well matched um because i mean horns are my wheelhouse but horns are his wheelhouse as well but he knew that i was a specialist and that's why he hired me even though he can write horns he's an incredible arranger and he knows what he wants but he also wanted someone like me that that took it to the next level so he right. could say hey write a feature here that just like go crazy you know um and that's uh, michael michael b nelson is another one you know he was prince's horn arranger for years and he would say the same thing you know prince loved to have people who were were experts at certain things you know that would just elevate the whole thing Mm-hmm. He he recognized that, and he respected. If he respected you musically, it was a, almost like you were equals. Mm-hmm. You know, I could I could interject and like add, you know, make suggestions and things like that. And he was always open. He would always say things like, "You'd make a suggestion, and he'd be like, let's hear it." Like, I thought that was a really humble thing to say because. You know, he's Prince. He could just be like, no, I don't, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to sound good. You know? Yeah. Um, but he would be like, well, let's hear it. I don't know. I I won't know until I hear it. Let's try it. So everything was like an experiment. I thought that was cool. Yeah. And that, that is a real cool thing. And I mean, in reality, that that's probably the way it should be. You know, yeah, you know, you, you, you know, you know what you know, but you don't know what other people know, you know, yeah. and, and, and your, your idea might be great. Your idea might, might be complete crap, but we're not going to know until, till we try it out. And, yeah. you know, and if the, at the end, if the, if the end game is to produce a product that is the highest quality, the highest caliber product, then yeah. to, you know, to not want to utilize an idea because it isn't yours. You know, that, you know, that's not being your best self. Right. You know, so that, but that's definitely, that's definitely cool. So, um, question, just, you know, one, one other question about Prince and we're going to get off the the subject. Um, because I, I didn't, I don't know. So I want to ask you, uh, I know he's a, he was a tremendous musician. I mean, his ability to play, you know, pretty much anything he wanted to play um but was was he uh like a trained musician i mean like did he read and did he write and things like that or or was he just kind of the the self-taught natural self-taught natural um and uh he really respected people who could read music though he was way into it but i think you know he he knew that that wasn't going to be his thing it didn't need to be his thing right um but um but he uh i think that that's also what made him so great was that like he was so out of the box you know he wasn't wasn't thinking in terms of 
what um, what's possible. Mm -hmm. It's just like you know, or rules, or theory, or right. You know, he was just he would sit on the piano sometimes and just like play the coolest stuff I ever heard. And then other times he'd sit down and like be completely lost and couldn't remember what the song, what, how something went because he wasn't thinking, he was feeling, mm -hmm. you know, he was feeling his way. And the piano wasn't his main instrument and he never sounded bad a day in his life on the guitar. But like, I remember there were, there, there were times with the piano where it was like, Oh, I can't remember what this was, but when he was fishing around, I'm like, what are you playing? What are you trying to play? I have no idea. He's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. he was all like, it was all feel at the piano or just in general. But then he would, he would play the coolest stuff on piano sometimes. I'm like, wow, I've never heard anything like that before. Yeah. You know. That's that, that really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's it's, it's so kind of like that that yin yang thing, you know. It's like uh, the the theory and the training uh, gives us a, a foundation to work with, and in a way of communicating. You know, I think I'm sure your communication would have been different. You know, if he said something like, "Okay, when we get to the subdominant, then you know we want to use this kind of voice leading and blah blah blah." Then you, you know, okay, yeah, 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 sure, sure, I understand that. Um, so sometimes we speak different languages when you're trying to speak the, the standardized language of music yeah. and the expressive language of music. Um, but, you know, while, while the theory and the structure give us, you know, something to work with a foundation, it, it sometimes can box us in and we're, we're, we're too busy thinking about, like you're saying, the rules and, you know, stuff like that and, and not about yeah. the possibilities. Yeah, that's why I like to make myself write in keys that I'm less familiar with. So that I'm kind of feeling my way through and not thinking too much. If I write, when I write in keys that I'm really familiar in, sometimes there's way too much thinking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you write, uh, yeah, I know people like for, for, for horns, uh, when, you, when you're writing at a horn chart, uh, are you doing it more from a keyboard perspective, like sitting there voicing things down on the keyboard? Or are you doing it from, like, you know, using your horn as, as the main reference point or, uh, you know, what's your, your typical process? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I try to do most things by ear now and I play a lot of keyboards and I have like a lot of voicings in my head and stuff. But usually nowadays I just try to like, I just use my horn and I play parts in um, and do almost everything by ear. Now, if I'm doing working with like a really large horn section with some like really big spreads, or like a big band kind of thing, then I will I'll lean on the piano a little heavier for that mm -hmm. because it just gets more complex. But when it comes to like a five piece horn section, I can write that stuff without a piano because I've done so much of it, yeah. you know, through the years, and so um, I can quickly access all of those kind of voicings. Um, yeah. 
I think it's good like to get out of the thinking and just the feeling, you yeah. know. Oh music. yeah. Absolutely. Um with um your the 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 stuff that you've been doing, I mean you obviously have your your new solo stuff uh or your your new, your new project that you're doing. Uh, but, uh, you also have, uh, are you still doing stuff with filthy or is that, uh, it's basically the same thing. It's all my original music, but, um, I've through the years, I've kind of gone back and forth between this filthy thing and, and my own name. Um, and, um, you know, I, I always say, I'm like, I'll always be filthy, but, um, you know, uh, I, uh, I feel like, um, some of the projects um i can i i i just connect with that brand more for some of the stuff and then for some of the other projects i connect more with just going under my own name yeah you know? so just a and, different facet of your personality coming out a little bit. yeah kind of and then also like you know the band in la is we call filthy so i think when i go back to la and hit with that band we'll you know, I may be Philip Lasseter presents, you know, filthy funk or something like that, featuring mm-hmm. a bunch of different people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, that's solid. That's solid. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that, you know, being in Dallas and, and working with uh, Kirk Franklin uh, and you still kind of have your, your fingers in the pie of the, the gospel world. Um, I've had a conversation with, with a few different people, uh, mostly Nashville guys, uh, that are you know still doing a whole lot of stuff in in, uh, in the gospel uh, and uh, uh, Christian music scene, and you know talking about the how the music has really in many ways started to kind of how do I put this? Um, it's gotten slicker. It's gotten like super super slick. Some of the production work on on some of that stuff is just. You know, if you weren't listening to the lyrics, if you're just listening to the basic tracks, it's like, man, this is, you know, this is some super slick, you know, R&B. This is some, you know, some, uh, some hip jazz. This is some, you know, whatever. Uh, We call it Chicoria gospel sometimes. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, um, you know. Christian science gospel. (laughs) Christian science. (laughs) Um, So, so in, uh, in working in in that genre um do you do you feel like uh the the people that you work with for the most part are embracing that freedom concept that we were talking about earlier that they're like you know we 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 want the music to have to have the funk basically to have to have that that kind of juice that that makes you want to move uh or uh, I mean, I know that, that there's no one category, there's no one right answer because everybody every project's going to be a little bit different, but do you see any level of consistency with you know, being a little more experimental, a little bit more uh, open or, you know, being formulaic. Gospel music has always been freedom for me. Like people are always just like, the more I do, the more they love it. Crazier I get, the more creative the parts are, the more like risks I take and the busier, the more they love it. It's never been like, hey, can you just like reel this back a little bit and be like a little more tasteful? No, they want all the music, put as much music in as possible. In fact, they'll they'll complain if I don't put enough music in. 
Like, you didn't do Phil Lasseter. We want that Phil Lasseter. That's like a, a, a phrase. We want that Phil Lasseter. You didn't give us that Phil Lasseter. I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, I think I know what you mean. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. And it's cool that not all the records sound the same because gospels like, can they can go anywhere. You know, I'll be working one day, I'll be working on a Calypso tune or African tune. Next day I'm working on some crazy Chick Scientology gospel. And then the next day I'm like, I'm doing like a shout tune. And then the next day, you know, it's like a salsa thing. Um, it's just, you know, a hip hop neo soul thing. You just never know. And that's been cool. Cause I love, I love, I'm, I'm eclectic in my taste for music. And of course, I love gospel. Um, I, I love the freedom of gospel music. And I feel like, musically speaking, um, and I've heard other people say this, I feel like it's it's maybe the, the genre with the most freedom and the most innovation, dare I say. Um, gospel probably has more innovation happening in it than jazz. Than the jazz genre has had in decades. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, and, um, I think, um, it's, uh, it's really cool to see the music, black music just continue to evolve because that's what I want to see. Like, I'm, but I'm still a preservationist. Like I'm all about playing stuff, the old stuff, the right way. Right. And I, I love it when I, when I, hear, when I get like a, a real gospel record comes across my desk, like some real like you know Edwin Hawkins kind of like gospel like the real stuff like I can't stand this watered down they call it CCM gospel and they're trying to copy what white churches are doing with this U2 kind of rock kind of gospel music it's terrible um and and I I really I hate to see the black church adapting that in there because they want to like be more um uh, whatever it is they're trying to be. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to be more diverse culturally, or maybe they're trying to like, you know, play what they're hearing on Christian radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that, but it, that seems like money moves. And I just think that's a terrible thing to do when you have all of this rich culture to, to preserve, um, you know? And so I, I was part of a church in LA that was doing a black church. Like I was, maybe one of two white people in the whole church. I was in the band and they were doing that. And I was just like, man, this is so lame. Like, why are we playing music that's not as good as the music of the culture that's attending the church? Like, this is, why is the white guy fighting for, (laughs) to preserve the heritage of black music? (laughs) So I love to see, or to hear real, like, you know, timeless the the traditional gospel music um and i i hope it never goes away i hope it never dies um but i also believe that the music needs to to move forward and i want to i want to see it move forward but only if it's keeping holding on to its blackness i hear you i hear what you're saying yeah like rhythmically Mm -hmm. melodically harmonically it it's got to hold on to that you know Musically speaking, it's it's still got to have those elements. Like we can't water all of that down and dumb all that down to like for for any reason, mm-hmm. for any reason. That's just that's a sad day 
for the black church and for the black community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, whether you want to get into concepts like uh, cultural appropriation or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, this, this diversity thing and, and just, yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly something to be said for embracing, uh, embracing cultures and trying to learn from all cultures. Um, but there's also something to be said for, uh, you know, recognizing your roots, recognizing your, your backgrounds and your origins and things like that. I mean, it, I guess it, it could be the kind of the same thing as like, you know, if, if you were in a, uh, you know, a, a Latin community and, you know, you're going to a, a you know, a, a, a church where, where it was like 99.9% Latino uh, and they're playing polkas. You know, you could certainly, you could like certainly why? do what you want, but, but, but why? I mean, because, you know, it, it's, the church has always been a, um, it's like the heartbeat of a community. Right. And I think particularly more so in minorities, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, being a minority, I mean, that's, that's always been my experience um, that, uh, you know, so it's part of the community and, and the music and the dress and things like that are a part of the community and the culture. And, yeah. you know, and the, food. and the food. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the dance. Yeah. So everything yeah. kind of, it, it kind of, it, it, and again, it's not saying that you, you, you don't want to hold on to things for blind reasons, for dogmatic reasons, you know, right. uh, and much like with jazz, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, Dixieland is kind of the roots of jazz and, but it had, it had to evolve, but, but what was, what was a real thing that, that the pioneers of jazz were trying to establish? And if we stick with that, then everything just becomes, you know, these different layers of the expression, you know, mm-hmm. but we never lose the root. And I think sometimes right. it's easy to just, just kind of want to jump ship and, and, you know, like the grass is greener sort of thing and just go, okay, well, we're just going to leave this completely and we're going to go over there and, and we're going to try and forget about this. But, you know, and I think, like you said, that's, that's, a, that's a huge mistake. Big time. And, and, you know, I can deal with like one song, you know, a service being like that, but I can't deal with like the whole thing shifting to that sound because that's what, that's what the market is, is wanting. That's what the radio is playing. And that's what other successful churches are doing. And that's what people want to are connecting with the worshipers. Get out of here, man. Like this is, this is like, this is important, you know? And uh, I can, I, I love, I love for the music to evolve. That's great, but not de-evolve, you know, it's yeah. like, come on, like one of the, like thing about, you know, people whose, whose heritage goes back to Africa is one of the most beautiful parts of the culture is the rhythm, mm-hmm. you know? And when we, when we water that down, you know, and then it came over here and then, you know, and then jazz happened, the blues happened and then jazz happened and they, they learned from all these classical, you know, European harmony and everything. And then it just became this developed into what we know as gospel music, you know, and, uh, but it has its own type of harmony mixed with the blues, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that's the thing that I, I hope that we never see. And I don't think we will see it leave completely, but, but you know, it's, it's crazy. Sometimes an artist will send me a track and I'll be like, this is an artist that I love and respect and have loved and respected 
for as long as I can remember as our, like, let's say, let's call it a real gospel artist. And they'll send me something and it's that white <laughs> YouTube garbage. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? This person is going to do this? Uh, wow. And then it's, it becomes their biggest hit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get it. They yeah. knew it. They knew it was money in the bank. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's the hard thing about, you know, being in the music business, you know, in the music industry, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, at some point you're, you're faced with that choice of, you know, do I do the music that really speaks to me or, you know, do I do the music that will pay the bills? It's always been an easy choice for me and which is why I'm not a bajillionaire. Um, you know, I never could, um, I, I never could completely commit to that path of chasing the hits. Um, and, uh, I don't have any hits. Um, and, uh, I played on a bunch, but, um, you know, I just, um, for me, it's, it's, it'd be very authentic, unauthentic for me to, to try to make music with that intention. And it, it just won't be very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, again, it all, it all gets down to your definition of success. You know, absolutely. And, and for some people, success is how many units you sell, yeah. and for others, success is how many you know how many lives do you really touch. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can you can touch a you can make a profound impact. Uh, you'll make a more profound impact with something that's authentic. Yeah, you know, I, was, I met this producer the other day in Amsterdam. We were hanging out on this boat, and I had no idea this guy was a producer. Um, we were talking and he was like, come to find out he's a music producer. I'm like, he's like been pretty successful. And he was like, uh, yeah, I just make music, you know, I just make a, he's like, it's really, it's really nothing. He's like, it's just really basic, like water. And he goes, cause you know, come down, come to find out people don't actually want to listen. Most people don't mm-hmm. actually want to listen to music. They just want something on in the background. That's right. not too disturbing. He's like, so I I put out tons of this watered down garbage. He called it that. He's like, and it's been very lucrative for me. <laughs> like, he's like, I just, you know, Spotify playlists and it's done. We, we do well. He's like, but they don't, they don't want like what you do. And they don't want, that's going to distract them. Mm-hmm. They just want yeah. something on in the background. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it's like, I, I have a hard time, uh, especially now, um, listening to music when I'm doing anything else other than, than driving. Uh, like when I'm working, uh, you know, I, I'm recording this right now in a, a co-working studio that I work out of. And, uh, you know, in a lot of the, the spaces here in the building, there's always some sort of music going on. Mm-hmm. And I've got to put my headphones on and put on like white noise or something like that to block out the sound. Because as soon as I hear music, I'm listening to the music, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, I'm, I'm picking up on the beat. I'm listening to the the same way. And and so it's like, if I need to focus, I don't want music on because I will always be attracted by the music because that's what speaks to my soul. So, yeah. And there's a difference, you know, between the other, the other, you know, the, the common, person that just thinks of music as just oh that's yeah that's something pleasant to kind of 
you know, drown out the noise, but um, like a backdrop for our uh, conversation. But, um, you know, and that's why I had to stop doing the cover band stuff because I was so tired of like playing music. And of course I can't play music without caring about it, even if it's, you know, brick house or whatever, you know, it's like um, the idea that people are just, they, they really don't care. And they really don't respect you at all or what you're doing. You know, that was uh, that was hard for me just night after night of playing and playing solos and no one listening. And, you know, and half the cats in the band just being checked out as well. Yeah. It was like because it was never about that for me. It was never music wasn't even a, a career choice for me. Like it was just a life choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's deep, man. That's deep. All right. Well, uh, before we, uh, we we finish out today, I got two segments that I got to get through on this. Uh, this and uh, the first one is the obligatory uh, discussion about gear. You know, you're a trumpet player. You got to talk about gear. This is our geared up segment, but you know, we don't talk about gear just a standard like you know whose horn are you you endorsing and that sort of thing. What I want to know is kind of just like your approach to gear, you know. So why do you play the horn you play? Why do you play the kind of mouthpiece you play? What are you looking for in terms of of uh, the instrument and how it relates to the work that you do? Yeah. For years, I played mouthpieces that were way too big for me. Uh, I played a Bach 3C for a long time. Then I went to a Monet uh, B4S and when I lived in New York. And then I got the Prince gig and I realized that stuff was not going to work. It was way too big and I wasn't going to be able to make it through these long rehearsals and stuff. And so I went with Nick Marchione. He took me to see um, Greg Black, a great mouthpiece maker, who at the time lived in New Jersey. We went and saw Greg. Greg made some mouthpieces for me that were along the same rim size. Um, and uh, so I play a 5CS, or a, yeah, a 5CS and a 5S. So I have two mouthpieces. 5CS is like a middle of the road mouthpiece. It's not too deep. It's not too shallow. And uh, now it's like my big mouthpiece. It took me a while to get used to the feeling. It took like a year or two, but I immediately liked the sound and just, you know, it was just way more um, manageable. Um, and um, I found that I could like take more time off and it wouldn't take me as long to, to get back, to get my chops back in order it just wasn't, you know, I wasn't lifting as heavy of, as, as of a hammer yeah. every day. And so that, and I didn't lose, I didn't really lose any tone. Um, whatever it was, it was so minute. No one else would notice. It was probably more of like a, a feeling mm-hmm. kind of thing that I had to get used to. And I think that's what keeps a lot of cats from going smaller is like, they just, they can't get used to the feeling because they just play it. They play the the new mouthpiece for like one day and they're like, this sucks. I hate it. And then they, they just go back to their big piece. I think, um, you know, I had to give it time to get used to the feeling, but, but it was the right choice. And then I have a five S that's even smaller. That's a lead piece that I, uh, through the years I've only used like when I really needed it. But the problem with that is I don't really sound very good on it because I never practiced with it. And I just use it to pop out some high notes on a session or something. So over the past few weeks, not even that long, I've been trying to play it every single day. And I, I even try to go back and forth. I'll play an exercise in, out of the Arben's book, a single, doing a lot of single-tonguing exercises, pianissimo, out of like page 15 and on in the Arben's book. And um, 
I'll do it on my big mouthpiece, and then I'll do the next exercise on my small mouthpiece, and then I'll just go literally just try to get used to both of them, and uh, it's working out really well. Um, <clears throat> so I use those Greg Black mouthpieces. I have a uh, I'm endorsed by Cannonball, so I'll I'll talk about my Cannonball Raven. Uh, that's uh, more of a solo horn. It's big. It's heavy. It's beautiful sounding. Um, and I use that for like lower stuff in sessions and, and, uh, any kind of solo work I love to, to use. It's great for ballads, but it's, it's a mother. It's, it's pretty big. It's heavy. Um, but so for that reason, I also have my workhorse is a, uh, Yamaha Z Bobby shoe that I use for like lead playing and, um, and a lot of just a lot of stuff. So I have the two horns and, um, that's uh, that pretty much gets it all done for me. Yeah, I have some stuff stuff on my wish list that you know maybe one day I'd yeah. like to have own a few more horns, but um, for now it's just the two. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that I use a Royer ribbon uh, one two one mic. Which one? Okay. Yeah, I love it. That's yeah. a new. That was a new. That was this year purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you What do you usually uh, use for your tracking? Are you a Pro Tools guy or? I'm Pro Tools and Logic, but for for tracking audio, I use Pro Tools. I've been using it for 20 years, so yeah, you know it, you know. So that, that that's a big one because uh, you know, you you get used to the way things are laid out and and uh, yeah. shortcut keys, all that stuff. Yep, yep. And uh, I like Logic for like being creative and doing tracking and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like Pro Tools for audio and mixing. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, our final segment is uh, brought to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies. This is the Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Round. It's a series of random questions. Not so random because I haven't written down, but they'll be random to you. Uh, They're going to go all over the place. There'll be some about music. There'll be some about life. uh, There'll be some about other stupid things. Uh, So just need your quickest response. And uh, Philip, here we go. Question number one. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, the biggest influence on my life that's not a trumpet player. Um, that would have to be my wife. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite book? Um, Khalil Gibran, The Prophet. Okay. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> oh, the worst movie I ever seen. <laughs> the 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 last romantic comedy I had to watch with my wife, whichever oh. one that was. <laughs> whichever one that was, it was that one until you watch the next one. Exactly. Uh uh if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? <laughs> uh you know, I just I just want to be a music producer, songwriter, music producer. All right. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Oh, uh, are we talking alcoholic or, or anything? any kind of drink? Uh, my favorite drink. Okay. And on Curacao, we have these, um, frozen fruity drinks. Um, they, my favorite is when they make it with watermelon and it's like a watermelon ice, but they put, um, this, uh, condensed milk in it and, uh, it's called a batito, batido. Okay. So that's my favorite drink, batido. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. 
except for I'm allergic to watermelon. So that would just be like, <laughs> well, you can have it with mango. Okay. Mango. I'll, I'll take the mango for sure. Uh, and then put a little bourbon in it. Uh, you, can you, have, <laughs> you can have a dinner party and invite any three people in the entire world. Any three people in the entire world could come to this party. Who would you want to have there? Uh, John Hendricks. Okay. John Hendricks for sure. And this can be alive or dead. Uh, this is alive. This is alive. Oh, they got to be alive. They got to be alive. Just, just, just hold it. your horses. Hold your horses not, for a second. Not John Hendricks. Yeah, not John Hendricks. Yeah, he's dead as a doornail. Okay. Well, not a prince, unless he faked it. Three, three people alive right now. I take to a dinner party. Well, I have to take my wife, or my life is over. Um, Maybe she's listening in the back, so let's give me some brownie points. There you go. She's also the hottest person I know on the planet, so she makes me look good. Okay. Uh, arm candy. Uh, uh, three, three people. Uh, okay, it would be it would be Yosha. Um, three people. Three people that I know right now, or any nope, any three, nope. any three people. Any three people. Okay. 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 Um. I'm going to say, uh, I couldn't find three people. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's my Siri. <laughs> oh my God. This is a tough question. All right. Cause I, this is, uh, I'm going to say, um, uh, uh, trying to think, I know I'm going to kick myself later. Um, okay. Let's say, uh, let's say Jack black. Okay. Right, for comic relief. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call Mark Ronson because I want to pick his brain on uh, on uh, Sonics and soul okay. music. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll like, that seems like a fun crew right there. Yeah. There you go. And your wife. All right. Of now. Course. Now. Here's the second part of the question. So you jumped the gun. Uh, you, you can invite any three people from history. Any three people no longer with us could also come to this party. Okay, John Hendricks. See, I'm more I'm more interested in dead people than the people that are alive. John Hendricks, Prince, and um, uh, 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 I'm gonna say. Uh, uh, Man, this is a tough one. Can it be a fictional character? Sure. <laughs> sure. Just get it over with. Okay, Batman then. Batman. Batman. Okay. You want Batman or Bruce Wayne? Batman. You know what? I'm going to change it to Spider-Man. All right. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. All right. There Not that Peter Parker. No, 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 no. Just yeah, Nancy yeah. Pants. No, 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 no. Spider-Man in full get up. There you go. Yeah. All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, next gotcha. question. Lacquer plated or raw? Raw. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Hmm. Well, one of them is one that I said earlier. You only possess what you experience. But I also like this one from Khalil Gibran book that I said earlier from the, the book called The Prophet. He says, you're... Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Mm. Okay, I like that one. That's that's a good one. Uh, all right, next one. What is your greatest fear? 
The greatest fear. Oh man. Greatest fear. Um. Hmm. And maybe, maybe, uh, you know, having having regrets at the end of your life, you know. Okay. You uh, could be granted one superpower. What would it be? To play the trumpet. You already got that. <laughs> what are you talking about trumpet is hard, man. Yeah, you ain't telling me nothing now, no. <laughs> trumpet is hard. I have to like. Whitten Marcellus is a super has a superpower. Um, man, there's nothing cooler than being able to fly, man. If you could fly, that would just be that would be super rad. All right, okay. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Overrated aspect of trumpet playing. Oh, For me, it would be multiple tonguing because I just feel like that's unless you're a classical player, then you know um, you need that. But for me, like, and I tell students, I tell my ma kids in my master classes, like, you know, single tonguing is like the most important thing for for uh, the music of of this day and age you know, in bebop articulation, but single tonguing is like the best thing you can do. Double tonguing and triple tonguing, it's it's good for your chops for sure. But um, it's, I just don't know how practical it is. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so the flip side of that is what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Um. I would say like to answer that question it would have to, I'd have to say that I feel like not a lot of people really know how to teach support you know this was like one of the last pieces of the puzzle for me and now after 35 years of playing I'm trying to still trying to develop this as a habit and um it takes years to develop especially when you've been doing something without you know when you've been doing something for so long a certain kind of way and to try to add create a new habit it's it's tough but um i had a lesson um a few years ago with these cuban guys and they you know they learn from a very young age that's the, they start them out on trumpet and this is the first thing they learn is how to develop their core and um it's uh, i could go on and on about that but um i feel like you know that's the biggest part is just like the breathing the breathing part of it, but specifically with the setting the intention of, of flexing. And so this goes against the way some people teach. They believe that you shouldn't have any tension anywhere. Um, but um, I know from experience and from being around great lead trumpet players and from talking to these Cuban guys, man, that, that it's all about learning to develop the, uh, the ab muscles, particularly the, the solar plexus and engaging that. Um, when you play at all times and then that, that just, that's a game changer for sure. All right, cool. All right. Uh, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, 
advice about one piece of music or just advice advice about approach to music or one 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 word of advice okay. about about music about music okay slow down okay uh while you're there you're going to give yourself one piece of advice about life slow down all right final question for you philip lassiter what do you want your legacy to be mm. well Mm. Man. Mm. I don't know. That's a tough question to just answer like cold like that. I mean, you know, um, I hope that, um, I hope to create that. I hope that my music is, is something, you know, original and creative that's that's something fresh you know that uh, hopefully hasn't hasn't been done yet i just i like to take everything that i like about music and put it in the pot like gumbo you know like i said i'm from mobile so my mom makes the, the meanest gumbo mm -hmm. i like to i like to to put ingredients together and I, I feel like i i like to take my favorite aspects of music and mix them up in a in a really tasty delicious soup and I hope people, uh, hope people get filled up from that. You know, hope it, it uh, makes their life a little better. Yeah. I hope, but but beyond the music, I, I hope that um, people feel my spirit. You know, and that uh, it, it encourages them in some way. Um, and uh, but be even beyond that, I I really hope that that my kids feel that love from me and that genuine. You know. Hope I can give give them a legacy of 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 hard work and um, and um, ethics and um, and love. Yeah, and a right. sense of family. You know, family family has got to be number one, and the music just kind of flows from there. I'm the only only reason why I have I'm able to make music or have ever been able to make music or learn anything about music was because of my family, you know, my parents, they invested in me and they encouraged me. They believed in me. They gave me opportunities to study music. And they, they made it a priority and they saw that I had, I had potential. So they, uh, they tried to foster that and nurture it. And so, you know, I hope that my legacy will be my kids and uh, when I'm able to impart to them, leave them with. All right. Well, that's a lot of stuff, man. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. And I, and I think, you know, you're just well on your way towards, uh, you know, doing that. Cause you know, every day we're building our legacy, you know, either building it or you're tearing it down. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the music is, it's a big part of it, but it's a small part of it when when you compare it to, you know, the family. Because I don't know that I'll be on my deathbed. I don't know that I'll be thinking too much about the music I made. Yeah, I think I'll be thinking about my family, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's true of so many of us. You know, and it's it's easy to lose sight, and that's one of the reasons I, I asked that question because, you know, some people. 
who really ever think about it, you know, and, and if you, and if you're not thinking about it and you're not conscious of it and you're not planning for it, uh, then, then things happen. You, you're not, you know, you're allowing things to happen by random instead of by choice. So, uh, you know, for me, my, my, uh, if anybody ever asked me that question, you know, my, my biggest, uh, you know, my, my idea, my legacy is that, you know, I want people to be able to, to look back and, and say, you know, Hey, my life was a little bit better because of this guy, you know? So if, if that's going to be my legacy, then that means that every day I got to try and make everybody's life a little bit better. And so that guides my decisions. It makes, makes decisions a lot, a lot easier, you know? It's a good thing to consider your legacy. It's a really good thing to keep on the, on the front of your mind because it will help um, kind of you make decisions, day-to-day decisions and keep you on track with what it is that, you know, you're about. Yeah. And uh, it's a good thing. I need to think about that more because I, I do think about music all the time and busy grinding on my career and promoting this and promoting that and releasing this piece of content and, that stuff is important you know it's like it's what we do on the day-to-day to to keep that's the baby steps you know that kind of gets us through our progression that's the only way to to uh you know to build Mm -hmm. is to build a little bit every day and it's 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 consuming but it's like being you know i have four kids and i have two daughters that are almost grown and and i have a son that's three and a son on the way and um you know, my boys will get a better version of me just because I'm older and wiser. And uh, I try to think about that more and more as like just really, really trying to take the time to um, to connect with him every day. You know, and my daughters too, you know, they're on FaceTime because they don't live over here. But, you know, um, that's uh, that's got to be number one. Yeah, yeah. Because that uh, really... That just, that's so much more. If I never make another piece of music or play another note again, you know, that's quite all right. You know, I don't owe the world anything, but I owe them everything. Yeah. Well, and and that's, that's deep, my friend. That is deep, my friend. So, um, Bill, I really appreciate you taking time uh, out of your, your evening there in in holland to be with me and uh to share your your insights and uh you know there's there's some some great stuff and i really hope that one day you and i will get a chance to to sit down uh and uh have one of those those wonderful drinks without the watermelon for me and talk some more man because i i you know uh, we, we definitely, we definitely share some of the same passions and, uh, you know, it's just always good to find a, a kindred spirit out there in the world. Thanks, man. It's been great to be on here. Thanks for having me. I'd love to meet you in person one day. Where are you based? I'm based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, heart oh, of Amish nice. country. Very so, cool. Very cool. Next time I'm on the East coast, maybe we can link up at a show or something. You, you hit me up if you're in New York or Philly or dc or anything like that i'm yeah awesome. just way. and so and make sure if you want to stay in touch with philip and see what he's up to uh just follow the links in the show note uh show notes the you can uh, you'll find links to his youtube channel which has got some really great content in it uh his web page uh obviously follow him on instagram and uh facebook and twitter and all those other uh, whatever the kids are are following people on these TikTok. days 
TikTok or whatever, just follow him. Uh, just keep up with the stuff. He's, he's doing some really great music and he's got some, some really, some really fun stuff going on and uh, oh. just stay, stay in touch with him. So uh, as yeah. always, folks, thanks for spending time with us on the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast and peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of olive oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal, and our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.